So I think, I think these are uh, profound topics we're going to look at. This is the next one, uh, Jesus in his own words, the resurrection and the life. And uh, chatting with Erica this week, and I think she was the same last week, you know, you just start to take hold of these statements and your head just starts to explode with all sorts of thoughts around who Christ was. So we're going to seek to refocus this morning on the essentials, especially Christ. This is a quote by J.C. Ryle. He said this, if he, he said, the root of a happy religion, actually I think the root of a happy, contented, ordered life is a clear, distinct, well-defined knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. I think it's really hard to dispute, whether you're a Christian or not here this morning, I don't know everyone, don't know everyone watching online, but it's hard to dispute, I think, that Jesus Christ is the central figure of history. In the Western world, we date our calendar by his presumed birth date. The Christian uh, church is the biggest people movement in the world. Approximately a third of the world's population own Christ somehow. So even secular historians, I think, would find that hard to argue with. And we're going to look in John 11 at the story of the raising of Lazarus. And in that passage, Jesus says in, in response to uh, one of Lazarus's sisters, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's the I am we're going to look at. And we're going to look at the context and, context and significance of that. And I want to kick off with this and ask the question, thinking about the resurrection, the life that flows from that, might we live in resurrection poverty? Might we live in resurrection poverty? Heaven forbid that we do, but I think we can do at times. You see, the opposite of resurrection and life is the dying and the dead. So what situations are you facing this morning, am I facing, that are in the tomb? Where things look dead and buried. The stones across the tomb. Um, and there is no life whatsoever. There's nothing moving. Maybe you're facing situations that you think are impossible for God. There is no chance of restoration here, you say. And we're unable to believe for resurrection. Maybe it's a relational situation. Maybe you just have no hope of things changing relationally in whatever way that is. Maybe it's about provision. Maybe there's a family member that was once walking with the Lord and now they're nowhere and you, nowhere and you just look at that situation and you think, can't see that changing. That's perhaps a, re a non-resurrection mindset. Or maybe we look societally and we look at the church in the nation and we say, God, we, we seem so powerless. And yet we've read church history and we understand there were times when the church walked in authority. We know there are parts of the world where they are seeing the miraculous. And Lord, we say, would you send revival? And yet we don't see signs of it. 
If that's the case, if we're living in that perhaps resurrection poverty, we're in the same place as Mary and Martha were in John 11, as we see here. What was their situation? It says this in John 11. There was a man named Lazarus who was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for the Lord's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days. It's not what you'd expect, is it? And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Thanks, James. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better then. And then Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, look, guys, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. What? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. For Mary and Martha, this was the end. For that matter, so for Lazarus as well. This was the end. He was in the tomb. He was dead. It it says a couple of times in this passage, he'd been there four days. Commentators think one of the reasons it says that is around this time, rabbis had an idea that the spirit of a person lingered for three days around the body, but on the fourth day, the spirit left completely. And so some commentators think, you know, it was just kind of underlining, you know, that, that isn't true. But, but just underlining, look, even if it were, he was dead. There was no hope. Friend, what situation are you facing this morning where there is no hope? No hope. I've got good news for you. There is. There is in Jesus Christ. Because Christ here entered the scene and he understood and revealed the necessity, secondly, for a resurrection paradigm. There was a need for a resurrection paradigm, a a filter, a framework of understanding is a paradigm, a filter by which we understand the world through the lens of death but resurrection. And Jesus knew these guys needed this. They needed a God-centered, supernatural paradigm. Again, let me ask us, what is our paradigm? What's our framework? What's the lens by which we see the world? Is it with Christ wholly at the center? How we wrestle with that one, don't we? Because we keep wanting to climb back on the throne when Christ must be on the throne. I think we are coming into times, brothers and sisters, when we must have Christ on the throne of our lives or we will not stand the test. I just think that's the way society is going. We must own Christ. Painful though that may be. Do we believe in the supernatural? We may not be seeing it all, all all we want. 
But do we believe in a God who is supernatural? In fact, his only nature is supernatural. Or are we effectively pragmatic materialists? We call ourselves Christians. We believe in a supernatural God, but to all intents and purposes, perhaps, our Christianity is a moral code which we follow. This is a social club which we join. But we're pragmatic materialists. It's as if God didn't really exist, or at least the God of the Bible didn't exist as he is. We need a resurrection paradigm. And Christ steps into this situation and he gets these people thinking about how they see the world. Did you notice? He wants them to work this out. Lazarus is dead, in which case I'm going to stay here two days. I don't understand that, Lord. This isn't going to end in death. It's going to end in glory. But you said he was sleeping anyway. Now you're talking about him dying. He's getting them to think this through. And then he has to tell them, look, he's dead. But it's better for you that I didn't go so that you may believe. Lord, I'm just lost now. Do you ever find yourself in situations the Lord takes you through and you just end up going, Lord, I I am completely lost now. I have no idea what you're doing. He's undoing our thinking because we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. He's undoing our thinking in order that we see things through his paradigm. He's trying to shift our thinking. Okay, well, let's try and get our heads around this resurrection paradigm. At the heart of it is a resurrection person. There is a person of the resurrection Look what Jesus says in verses 17 to 27. Thanks, James. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. There we go. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It's kind of an interesting statement now. What, what, what had she seen in her mind's eye? What had she seen? But even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Is there a flicker of hope in you, in your tomb situation that says, but even now, Lord, even now, I want to I encourage you, nurture that thought. Nurture that thought, because that is the thought that will lead to resurrection. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. (laughs) Has she got a surprise coming? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. I read this, I read this at the start of most funerals I take. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Jesus says to Mary, Martha, Martha, I think it is at this stage. Jesus says to Martha that Lazarus will rise again. She replies, yeah, in that general resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection. What's he saying here? 
Well, firstly, just to look at this phrase, the I am's, and I apologize if this has already been dealt with in previous sermons, I couldn't remember. But there are little intimations here. In fact, a big one. In these I am, I am the bread of life. I am the, the way, the truth, the life we're going to look at. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection. This I am phrase is significant. It intimates the incarnation. It intimates God becoming a human being. Because Jesus points to himself and says, I am, I am, dot, dot, dot. Now, just to say that is not an insignificant phrase. Look at what Moses encountered in Exodus 3. Moses has been called by God to lead God's people out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I will go on being who I will go on being. I've always been. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So God is calling himself here. I am that I am. And even that's an enigmatic name. I mean, what does that mean? That's like, that doesn't give much to go on, does it? Who are you? I am that I am. It's like, and then Jesus, in John 8, we have this episode where Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and he says, look, even Abraham, who was centuries before, longed to see my day. And the Pharisees say, Abraham longed to see your day. He, you're, only, you know, you're only 50. Okay? He, was, he was actually 30, Jesus, at the time, which I don't think is much of a compliment. Okay? You're, you're, a, you're, only about, you're about 50. How can Abraham have seen your day? And Jesus says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. The Pharisees knew exactly what he was saying. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They knew he was using the title that God had called himself. Jesus, you know, people say, did Jesus really claim to be God? Okay, I think there are sufficient, there are sufficient phrases that are kind of quite clear. When Thomas worshipped him and said, my Lord and my God, Jesus just lets him worship. But this is some of the clearest stuff. This man, Jesus, listen, if you've never heard this before, this will change your life. This man, Jesus, was God. It changed my life. It changed the lives of many here. This man, Jesus, was God and claimed to be God. I am and so in these I am's, we have echoes of Jesus claiming to be God. When you think through what some of these I am's are, Chris dealt with the bread of life. It's saying, you know, only, only God would speak of himself like that. I'm the one that nourishes you. I am the light. I'm the one that brings light to your world. The way, the truth. And here, the resurrection only God could speak of himself like this. A, a man or woman couldn't do it. So Jesus is being clear here. I am God. But in what sense is he then the resurrection? Well, firstly, he was the resurrection pioneer. He was the resurrection pioneer. Jesus would rise from the grave as a kind of prototype for all believers. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 15. And incidentally, I encourage you, if you decide to, to read around this a bit, John 11 and 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's passage where he unpacks the resurrection for us. And Paul says there this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits. So the first, but also it's kind of the best. The first fruits was also your best. Israel was to bring their best, their first fruits to God. It is the first, but it's also the best. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Christ was a pioneer of the resurrection. And let me just say here, we understand, don't we, that the resurrection is a key event in Christianity. Christianity rises and falls on whether Jesus actually bodily rose from the dead. In fact, I would say it's the key event in history. And I believe with my whole heart. It changed these first disciples. It was historic. Nothing else accounts for these disciples' transformation, for the fact they gave themselves to this, even to martyrdom. Tom Wright says, the Old Testament is a story waiting for an ending and resurrection is that ending. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 to 19 says this. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Because it's based on a physical resurrection of Jesus. You are still in your sins. Okay, Christ claimed to die on the cross for our sins. But if he didn't rise, he, like the rest of us, are still dead in our sins in a tomb somewhere. There is a tomb somewhere with the body of Jesus in. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Some of us have lost relatives in this season. Some of us, you know, have lost precious family members, friends in other times. Well, if Christ didn't raise from the, rise from the dead, they are still asleep in, in their sins. They're still lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Sometimes we say that Christianity, even as a moral code, is worth living by that. Here's the thing, Paul, Paul doesn't agree with that. It's a good moral code, but he says we're to be pitied. Why? Because we're believing a fallacy that Christ rose from the dead. That is who we are, friends, as believers, if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And this is a complete and utter waste of time. And we are foolish and deluded. Thank you very much. Well, 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to say something. Look at what it says. Verses 25, no, 20 onwards. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Lord, I pray, would you reveal to our spirits now that you have risen from the dead, that we live the other side of the resurrection with everything that means. Some of us have lost relatives in this season. I was speaking to a family this week who've lost a relative. Let me tell you, their hope is that there is a resurrection from the dead in Christ. This is historical fact. This isn't vain hope. This is why we need not fear death. Now, it may be associated with difficulties, but we need not fear it. And this is wholly transformative. If we will get hold of this, wholly transformative, it is worth giving our lives to this truth because the world does not believe it. And sometimes we don't, do we? By the way we live our life, let's be honest, often it looks like we don't believe it, that we haven't got a grip on a supernatural God who can raise the dead. And I'll come on to that in a minute. This changed my life. It was a talk on the resurrection. I was taken along by Rich and Claire, sat here, a talk on the resurrection at Swansea University that changed my life. I was, I was lost. I was lost. I was empty. I was having a good time on the surface. I was loud. You'll find that hard to believe, but I was. And just kind of living it up, but inside dying, nothing, purposeless, nothing. And I went to a talk on the resurrection of Christ and it just hit me. If this is true, we all need to live in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we need to live for that truth as well. And it completely changed my life. The spirit came into my life and transformed things. It did for Carl as well. So we're to live as though this is a reality. And secondly, what do we mean? What did Jesus mean by the resurrection? Another, I think there's a lot to it, but a couple of things here. Firstly, he's a resurrection pioneer. But secondly, there is then resurrection power available to us. He demonstrated this power inherent in him by raising Lazarus. Look at verses 38 to 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. And Jesus said to them, take off those flipping grave clothes. Just get rid of them. This isn't who he is. This isn't who we are. We are not to wear grave clothes. Some of us are still walking around in dead, smelly grave clothes. I do. And God's 
will for me and for you is that we get rid of them. You notice when Jesus rose from the dead, what did they find in the tomb? The grave clothes. They found the grave clothes. Get those grave clothes off him. This is life. This is the resurrection and the life. He calls us out of the tomb into life. Please, friend, if you think Christianity is rules and regulations and coming to church and, you know, doing your bit and trying to live well, trying to live some boring moral life, which is not, by the way, we've got it wrong. It is life in all its fullness, and that life is in Christ. In fact, that life is Christ. He is that life, and we're to pursue that. So it says Jesus was deeply moved. He was troubled. Some commentators have said it was like he comes. The word actually means this troubled, snorted with anger. He is angry at death. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, 26 says this. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Christ comes against death and he comes against it with the power of the resurrection. And this power is available to us. Look at Ephesians 1, 18 to 20. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. He does not say that you may know about this power. How many of us, if we were really pushed, would say, I know about the power of God. I'm not sure I know it in my life. Because my question to us, including to myself, would be this. Well, prove it. What, when did you last see the power of God and the power of the resurrection in your life? Now, we can claim, we can, you know, we can claim he found me a parking space in Asda. How many times do we? I mean, that's the limit sometimes of our, the resurrection power in our lives. Come on, I think God's got more than that for us, folks. I think he's got miraculous provision I think he's got transformation of family. I think he's got transformation of community. Christ is the first fruit. One day, all the dead are going to be raised by the power of God. That is some power. Do you remember when Christ... Was it when he... He was when he rose from the dead, wasn't it? When he rose from the dead, it said the, term, the tombs burst open in Jerusalem and dead people started walking about in Jerusalem. That is some power. Can you imagine? Who have you lost in this season? Who, who's died? Can you imagine if you saw them again now? It would take your breath away. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And that power is in us by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. When we come into relationship with Christ, by faith, we are counted right 
before God. The Bible calls it righteousness. So whatever you've done, it can be counted, washed away by your faith in Christ's death. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that happens at that point when we place our faith in Christ. Let me tell you, when I placed my faith in Christ, something happened. It changed me. And I've never gone back fundamentally on it since. That is not me, I can tell you, because I was inconsistent, unreliable. And God changed me and put a power in me that has enabled me you know, to live way, way beyond how I ever could have done. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We have the spirit of the resurrection in us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us well let's live like it then I think we should be expecting way beyond what we're seeing way beyond what we're seeing and I want to encourage us let's get praying about this let's get seeking God about this even if it's only you even if no one else here takes this on even if the pastors don't Chris will but I might not okay You do it. Start believing that the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, whatever your age, whatever your socioeconomic background. What about if we all did, though? What about if we all started to believe that resurrection power lived in us? That we're going to pray as if that's true. We are going to pray to see transformation in the lives of our loved ones. We're going to pray to see wonderful, miraculous provision. And so the resurrection ushers in life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life of the new creation. Tom Wright says this, since death is the unmaking of God's creation, resurrection will be its remaking by the power of the Spirit. Okay, just to skip a couple of things. You'd have thought, wouldn't you, when the Pharisees had heard that a man has been raised from the dead by this Jesus, they'd be like, wow. We are all over this. It says in verse 53, there was resurrection prejudice. From that day, they plotted to kill Jesus. And later, they plotted to kill Lazarus as well. Well, Jesus has already proved that he can't kill him. There will be opposition to faith in the resurrection. The powers and principalities... The demonic realms hate the resurrection and hate the proclamation of the resurrection. I said to Ali yesterday, I felt a bit rough yesterday, it came out of nowhere. And I just thought, I wouldn't be surprised if this is spiritual. Because I knew what I'm preaching on this morning. Resurrection. The devil does not like this. He does not like this. Well, there's only one thing we do with the devil. Unfortunately, I haven't got my Doc Martens on. But Adrian's got some pretty good boots on. If you've got some pretty weighty boots, it says God will soon crush Satan under our feet in the power of the name of Jesus. Finally, there's a resurrection provocation here. 
Verse 25, Jesus says this to Martha. I am the resurrection with all that goes with it that I've just tried to explain. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let me ask you this morning, if you are here, this is life and death, friend. We do not know when our time is up. But the Bible teaches that outside of Christ, if we die outside of Christ, there is not hope of resurrection to life. There will be resurrection and judgment to eternal death. That is what scripture teaches. But you do not have to die like that. Faith in Christ means you do not have to fear death means that you will come into life, that you will know the power of the resurrection in your life. Are you struggling with stuff? Is there stuff, are there grave clothes you want to shake off? And you've tried, goodness knows how many times in your own strength, to live the life God has for you. It is only in Christ that you will know the power of the resurrection. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you've never placed your faith in Christ, would you do that this morning? I'm going to give you opportunity in a minute. Just weigh that one up. He holds out an offer of life to you by the resurrection. But for those of us who are believers, there's the challenge to us. Will we live in this resurrection paradigm? And if, if you're not sure you are, let's ask him. Lord, reveal. Give us a clear, distinct focus on Christ and who he is and what he's done for us that we might live in a resurrection paradigm. And we can expect resurrection power now and a future assured with him in that life for all eternity. Amen. Amen. I had wanted to play a song this morning. Um, some of you will know it. Um, it's called Rattle. And it's, um, it's based on the prophecy of Ezekiel on the dry bones. It's by Elevation Worship. Well worth a listen. And uh, whilst it may not be your cup of tea musically... <laughs> The spirit of the song is just, it just does something for you. But the reason I didn't play it is because we'd probably fall foul of copyright and it would cut the stream to those of you watching online. We'd have been all right in the room. But, but it says this, Saturday was silent. Surely it was through. But since when has impossible ever stopped you? Friday's disappointment. Is that where you are this morning? Are you in the tomb? If the band want to come back up, by the way. Are you in the tomb? Is all, all around you disappointment and discouragement? Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Life's coming. Life's coming. I remember someone giving us a prophecy at this place that we would see dry bones and it would get messy because what happened with the dry bones was the flesh was added first, the, the, the sinews and everything before the skin was put on. So resurrection may look messy. Pentecostal fire stirring something new. 
you're not going to run out of miracles anytime soon. When does God say, that's it, I'm done. I haven't got, I haven't got any more power left. You're not going to run out of miracles anytime soon. Resurrection power runs in my veins too. Resurrection power, brother, sister, runs in your veins. I believe there's another miracle here in this room. So why don't we stand? And I just want you to look at your tomb this morning. It goes on to say this song, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Should we stand? Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Life. I want you to confess this morning and declare, you don't have to do it out loud, declare to your tomb, your hopeless situation. I, wanna, I want you to proclaim life.